Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to the 100th episode of the first. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to join Al-Anbiya Wal-Siddiqeen Wal-Shuhada Wal-Saliheen. May Allah allow us to join them in the highest level of Firdaus Al-A'la. Allahumma ameen. And I see that it's very crowded tonight, so I'm just going to remind you guys, do not knock over the camera or else the people that are watching through the camera will be very upset with you. So please be careful, adults and kids with knocking over uh, the camera or tripping any wires in the process. It's very consequential tonight. So those of you that have your children, please keep your children with you the entire time, inshallah ta'ala. Now, it's only fitting that the next four halaqat will be about one of the most special people that we find in our tradition. Someone that the scholars mentioned one-fourth of the Sharia is from a single source. One-fourth of our deen comes through this one human being. And this is our mother, Aisha, radiallahu ta'ala anha. So for the next month, inshallah ta'ala, I want you to think of yourself looking through a picture book, inshallah ta'ala, looking through the old pictures of your mother and hearing her stories as if you are sitting with Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha as she tells you about her glorious life with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam left this world, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha was only two decades old. So subhanAllah, an incredible life that was lived with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to fulfill the joy of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and to leave behind such a legacy that we benefit from until today. Aisha, our mother, the most beloved person to the Prophet ﷺ when she lived in his time without any doubt. Rasulullah ﷺ, if you went up to him and you saw the love that he treated everybody with and you asked him, Man ahabu nasi ilayk, who is the most beloved person to you? He would say without hesitation, Aisha radiallahu anha. He would not stutter, he would not hesitate. And she was also his preferred company, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, whether he was resident or whether he was traveling. When the Prophet would cast lots, he always hoped that it would land on Aisha radiallahu anha so she could be with him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And when the Prophet was present in his home, he preferred no residence like the residence of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. And as some of the scholars said, it was as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave her the keys to the heart of the Prophet in terms of his happiness. She knew how to make the Prophet happy and she spent that entire time with the Prophet in Medina bringing joy to his life sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And when we talk about our mothers, Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, and we love all of our mothers, there are more ahadith about and from Aisha radiallahu anha than all of the other wives of the Prophet combined. And so to tell her story is extremely difficult in any limited period of time because even the ahadith that are not about her, they are through her lens radiallahu ta'ala anha and they come with that clear love of the Prophet even as she narrates the most intimate moments with the Prophet and so when you, le- when you read about the Prophet through the lens of Aisha 
you love the Prophet even more, which is in and of itself remarkable. Because the person that saw him most praised him most. You love the Prophet more and you love the woman that's telling the story, Aisha, our mother, radiallahu ta'ala anha. There is no other person in our deen who has a greater number of exclusive narrations about the Prophet Now what do I mean by that? There's one companion who narrated more ahadith than her, and that is Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu. But Abu Huraira, most of his narrations are corroborated, meaning other sahaba narrate the same thing. Okay, so you take the entire body of his ahadith, Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu is the narrator of the largest number of ahadith. But the largest number of exclusive narrations, meaning only Aisha radiallahu anha saw this and could tell us about this, there is no other companion, male or female, that matches Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. And she was given to the Prophet as a divine gift, as we will see. And subhanAllah, you will notice, it is, and it is remarkable, the mission of the Prophet started as he came home to Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha in her arms, and the mission of the Prophet ended in the arms of, of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent these two women at the perfect time. The Prophet needed a Khadija, and there was no other woman that could be to the Prophet what Khadija radiallahu anha was throughout that time of Mecca. No other woman that would be more comforting, that would bear more of the hardship, that would spend and give, and that could inform the journey of the Prophet and comfort him throughout the way, like our mother Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. And in Medina, there is no other woman that could bring more joy to the Prophet and fulfillment and could be with him, especially in the place of the great sadness that he felt with the void of Khadija radiallahu anha than our mother Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. And subhanAllah, it's interesting because even if you look at the names, and I always say pay attention to the names, Khadija, some of you might remember the name Khadija actually means premature. So uh, some of, the, some of the, the scholars of language, they say that if a, if a baby came early, preterm baby, they said it was Khadija. So Khadija was premature in that she was ahead of her time radiallahu ta'ala anha. And Aisha radiallahu anha is full of life. And subhanAllah, she brought so much life to the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and to this ummah by extension until today, the life of Aisha radiallahu anha brings life to the pages of the books of seerah that you are reading. And so they both come at a perfect time in, her, in his life sallallahu alayhi wasallam and both say, serve a very unique function that we benefit from and we praise in the life of our messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. She is the daughter of Abdullah ibn Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Abdullah ibn Uthman, also known as, please answer this right, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Also I'm be like, we well, need to go back and redo 99. Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, his actual name was Abdullah ibn Uthman. And her mother was a woman by the name of Umruman bint Amir ibn Uwaymir. So another Uwaymir. Umruman bint Amir ibn Uwaymir from the tribe of Kinana. Now just like uh, Abu Bakr is a nickname for Abdullah, Umruman, some of the scholars say her name was actually Zainab, but we don't know that for sure. So Umruman is the mother of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. And she is, as she is titled by Imam al-Dhahabi rahimahullah, Bintul Imam al-Siddiq al-Akbar. 
the daughter of the Imam, the great Siddiq Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the greatest human being after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, after the prophets who the sun has risen or set upon. And there's something profound about that because Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu wanted to be by the side of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in every moment of his life and wanted to support the Prophet with everything that he had. And the Prophet said, no one benefited me more with their money, their spending, their support than Abu Bakr and SubhanAllah, even his offspring, even his offspring was of a greater benefit to the Prophet than anyone could possibly be. And that is also from his sidq, that's from his truthfulness in wanting to be by the side of the Prophet and benefit the Prophet and bring happiness to the Prophet and support him in his mission that he loved the Prophet so much that it even showed in his daughter that it transferred to his daughter and you will notice when we get to part two of this series on Aisha that every single one of her incidents of anger is out of jealousy for the Prophet so it's as if it transferred, a love transferred for the Messenger to Aisha radiallahu anha and she becomes the greatest source of comfort to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in his home. Now, as we said, Aisha's mother is Umm Rumam. So this is just a biographical point that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was married to two women before Islam. One of them was a woman by the name of Qutayla, Qutayla and she is the mother of Asma bint Abi Bakr. Qutayla is the mother of Asma bint Abi Bakr. So Asma bint Abi Bakr is the half-sister of Aisha, okay? And then Umm Rumman, who gave birth to Aisha and Abdurrahman. Umm Rumman, who gave birth to Aisha and Abdurrahman. Now Qutayla did not embrace Islam, okay? So they were divorced. Uh, Umm Rumman embraced Islam and became a woman of Jannah as the Prophet described her. And then later on, and we'll talk about the death of Umm Rumman, inshaAllah ta'ala at some point, later on, Asma bint Umais, the widow of Ja'far ibn Abi Talib and another woman later on named Habiba and he would have Muhammad and Umm Kulthum. So Aisha is the only daughter of Umm Rumman and she only has one full sibling, Abdurrahman ibn Abi Bakr who did not embrace Islam right away. So Abdurrahman anhu embraces Islam later on. So for a time in the household it is Abu Bakr and Umm Rumman and Aisha and her half-sister who grows up with her, Asma, as well as Abdullah. I forgot to mention Abdullah also from Qutayla, uh, Abdullah ibn Abi Bakr. So that is the household of believers. Now, what are some of the names of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha that you will find her in the tradition as? The most beautiful one is that she would be called Habibatu Habibillah. Habibatu Habibillah. The beloved one of the beloved one of Allah. Habibatu Habibillah. And Masruq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he would narrate from her, he would narrate from her as As-Siddiqa bint As-Siddiq, Habibatu Habibillah. As-Siddiqa, the truthful woman, the daughter of the truthful man, the beloved one of the beloved one of Allah. As-Siddiqa bint As-Siddiq, Habibatu Habibillah radiallahu ta'ala anha wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also gave her a very particular analogy. So Rasulullah mentioned four women who perfected their iman, perfected their iman. And two of them were from his own family Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Khadija, our mother Khadija radiallahu anha, perfected her iman. 
Fatima radiallahu anha, the daughter of the Prophet perfected her iman. Maryam alayhi salam perfected her iman. And Asiya alayhi salam perfected her iman. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Fadlu Aisha ala nisa'i ka fadli thareed ala sa'ir al-ta'am. And the superiority of Aisha after that, so the ranking of the women here, our mother Khadija radiallahu anha is greater than our mother Aisha radiallahu anha. And we have a narration about that later on, right? So Khadija always stays number one. Fatima radiallahu anha, who's a part of the Prophet sallallahu also occupies that position of the queen of the women of Jannah, right? But then the Prophet said, if you were to compare Aisha to the rest of the women, she is like Tharid, a dish called Tharid over all other meals. What does that mean? Tharid was considered the most prized and fulfilling dish of the food of the Arabs. So as if to say, Aisha radiallahu anha brought a sense of fulfillment she filled every room, she brought joy wherever she went anha, and her rank and her superiority, her fadl, her actual virtue is like the virtue of that dish over everything else. I'm not even going to start comparing biryani and maklouba and things of that sort because it's just going to get messy here and I don't want to cause a fitna between the people here. But this is the best dish of all, it's Aisha radiallahu anha. Then it's everybody else, right? And some of the names that she also had were nicknames that the Prophet would call her by and Rasulullah would call her Aish, Aish, and also Uwaysh, which is little Aisha. So Aish is simply shortening the name of Aisha, as well as Uwaysh, which is little Aisha. She also had the nickname of Humayra, Humayra. Why Humayra? Humayra, because Aisha radiallahu anha was described as a beautiful woman with a reddish complexion. And she used to have a reddish complexion, especially when she got shy or when she got mad. You could easily tell Aisha radiallahu anha by her, her redness, right? So she turned red when she got shy and she turned red when she got mad. So she is Humayra. She is also described as Humayra, which comes from the color red. She's also Umm Abdullah, which is a very interesting nickname. Umm Abdullah. Aisha did not have a son named Abdullah the mother of Abdullah. But she said to the Prophet I mean, she looked around and she saw that everyone else is um this person, um that person, um this person. So she said, Ya Rasulullah, Ya Nabi Allah, Ala tukannini, will you not give me a kunya, which is um something, the mother of something? And of course, it's common back then, you're the father of someone or the mother of someone, even if it's in hopes of a future child or something of that sort. So the Prophet said, uh, to take the kunya bi-ibniki, by your son. Who was he referring to? Abdullah ibn Zubair, who is the son of Asma bint Abi Bakr. So your nephew, Abdullah. And this shows us a lesson, by the way. The Prophet said, Al-Khala manzilatil um Your maternal aunt is like your mom. Your maternal aunt has a station in Islam, she is like your mom. So your khala is like your mom. So he said to her, why don't you call yourself Umm Abdullah after your nephew, Abdullah ibn Zubair. And so she took that and, the, and she loved Abdullah ibn Zubair a lot. And so that was a special connection uh, that existed there as well. Now let's talk a little bit about her childhood and her immediate qualities here and how that's going to play out as she grows up, you know, watching the seerah unfold. First of all, uh, her qualities 
are very similar to her father. So she took after Abu Bakr anhu in many of her qualities. She had a fondness for camels. And this was also a characteristic of Abu Bakr anhu, hence the name Abu Bakr. Uh, Bakr is a camel. Okay? So she had a fondness for camels, but more than that, she loved poetry. She studied ancestry. These are skills that Abu Bakr anhu had. She was eloquent, she was sharp, and these are all qualities of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq So her natural qualities were like the qualities of her father. Abu Bakr was a deeply perceptive man, articulate man, and an honest man, right? And he loved some of the harder subjects of literature and poetry, and he excelled in dream interpretation and things of that sort. Aisha anha, when she was growing up, she exhibited these types of qualities very early on, just like her father. And SubhanAllah, later on, the love of the Qur'an, the love of charity, and the love of the Prophet Three things that are very Abu Bakr-like. The love of the Qur'an, the love of charity, and the love of the Prophet So what was her childhood like? She's very different in that the other wives of the Prophet went through a period of disbelief and then belief, and were all previously married, right? Aisha radiallahu anha says, this is my childhood. She said, I don't remember a time of my life except that my parents were Muslims. Meaning I was born Muslim and I was raised Muslim. So Aisha radiallahu anha was born after the Prophet received revelation. Therefore she says, I don't remember a time where my parents were not upon the religion of La ilaha illallah Muhammadan Rasulullah. And she says, وَلَمْ يَمُرَّ عَلَيْنَا يَوْمٌ إِلَّا يَأْتِينَا فِيهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ طَرَفَيْ النَّهَارِ بُكْرَةً وَعَشِيَّةً I can't recall a single day from my childhood except that the Prophet used to visit our house day and night. So every day of my childhood was marked by my parents struggling with Islam and the Prophet visiting us in our home at least twice a day. He would come to us in one time in the day, he'd come to us one time in the evening. So this is her childhood, seeing the Prophet come over every single day, twice a day. So she's getting a pretty good glimpse of him وسلم, well before she will marry him. And she's also seeing the plans. She's seeing her parents sitting with the Prophet She's seeing the discussions about how they're going to escape persecution. She's living through the boycott. She's living through the torture. And subhanAllah, there's an irony. Does anyone remember who tortured her father? Who tortured Abu Bakr as-Siddiq? Does anyone remember? Someone, I just heard a bunch of names shouted out. Not Abu Jahl. <clears throat> who was it? It's actually the brother of Khadija. <laughs> it's the irony. Uh, Nawfal ibn Khuwaylid the brother of Khadija radiallahu anha used to tie Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu up and used to beat him up. So her father's persecutor, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, will come home bruised up, beaten up by the brother of Khadija radiallahu anha. SubhanAllah, the irony in how Islam truly separated the fates of people. You know, imagine you have Khadija on one hand receiving the Prophet and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, the best friend of the Prophet We have the Prophet brother-in-law beating up his best friend in this way. So she would see her father coming home with the marks of torture. She would see her father 
defending the Prophet with his body when the Prophet was stoned and abused in public. And she can recall those incidents from her childhood. Remember Abu Bakr being beat up so much that uh, he went unconscious one day, right? Protecting the Prophet around the Kaaba and literally being beaten to a point of unconsciousness. Aisha radiallahu anha's childhood is marked by her father being abused in defense of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. She grew up watching her father gather the money from the home and what would he do with the money? He'd go and he'd free the slaves. So she, grow, she remembers her father in Mecca going out and freeing Bilal radiallahu anhu and freeing Khabbab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And these were, of course, considered people that had no worldly worth. But Abu Bakr anhu was seeking something from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So she remembered the way that when any money would come into the house, her father would go out and he would immediately free the people that were being persecuted from the slave class. She remembered her mother and her father trying to memorize Surah Al-Najm and the things that they memorized in Dar al-Arqam. So her parents would go out to Dar al-Arqam, study with the Prophet and she could remember her parents trying to uh, perfect the memorization of Mecca Qur'an. This is her childhood and it's very significant because you would see these things playing out later on. And her description of her father is that he could not control his eyes when he would read the Qur'an. So imagine the daughter Aisha radiallahu anha looking at her father Abu Bakr weeping as he reads this revelation from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And remember that the most difficult days of the Prophet correlate the beginning of her life in that, you know, she was born obviously, you know, early on and after the revelation of the Prophet but her memories start, like most people's memories start right at the age of five, six, seven, her memories start at the time of the boycott, right? At the time of the worst persecution of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So let's go to the Prophet and how the marriage is going to come into being. Now if you recall the Prophet after the death of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, it was unusual for a person of the age of the Prophet to not be married in Mecca. Very unusual. In fact, it was very unusual to be married to only one person, right? Because at that time, the majority of men would marry multiple women. And the Prophet ﷺ was now in his 50s, going into his mid-50s, and he's only been married to Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. And if you read the life of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, knowing her love and her support for the Prophet ﷺ, do you really think she would have given the Prophet ﷺ a hard time if he carried out the practice like everyone else used to carry out the practice at the time? No. But the Prophet ﷺ and Khadija anha had a very unique and special relationship that would not end with her death. In fact, it would continue onwards to where Aisha's entire life now would be a mention of Khadija every single day who she actually didn't remember. Because by the time Aisha really woke up to this world, Khadija anha had already passed away. Okay? And the Prophet ﷺ was in a deep state of sadness. A single father. A deep state of sadness and a single father. And it was perplexing why he wouldn't be married Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This was not the way that they were accustomed to. Right? Not the way that they were accustomed to. And then you have a few dreams that happen. 
So let's start with the dreams. The Prophet ﷺ, for three nights in a row, قَالَ أُرِيتُكِ فِي الْمَنَامِ ثَلَاثْ لَيَالِ جَاءَ بِكِ الْمَلَكُ فِي سَرَقَةٍ حَرِيرٍ وَفِي رِوَايَةٍ خَضْرَى The Prophet ﷺ said, for three nights, Jibreel ﷺ came to me in a dream, and he had a green silk cloth. And he said, هَذِهِ زَوْجَتُكَ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ SubhanAllah, this is your wife in this life and in Jannah. So it's not even just the Bushra, it's not even just the glad tidings that this woman that I'm about to show you is going to be your wife in this dunya. This is your wife in this life and in the next life. And he would show the Prophet ﷺ an image within that cloth. فَإِذَا أَنْتِ فِيهِ And the Prophet ﷺ is telling Aisha this way after he got married, right? Saying and it would be your image. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Look, if this is from Allah, it's going to come to pass. Meaning the Prophet ﷺ did not share the dream with anybody. He kept it to himself. He had a dream about Jibreel ﷺ coming with Aisha an image of Aisha, and telling the Prophet ﷺ, this is going to be your wife in this life and in the next. And the Prophet ﷺ did not act upon it. He's still grieving our mother Khadija anha. And the Prophet said, look, if it's from Allah, it's going to come to pass anyway. Like this is not something that uh, anyone has any say in at this point. This is clearly something that is decreed. Then you have another dream. And this is the dream of Sauda bintu Zama'a radiallahu anha. Sauda radiallahu anha, simultaneous to the Prophet having this dream in the time that Khadija radiallahu anha passed away. Sauda has a dream and she's in Abyssinia with her husband, Sakran ibn Amr radiallahu anhu. Sakran ibn Amr is the brother of Suhail ibn Amr, by the way, radiallahu anhu becomes Muslim later on, right? So she's in Abyssinia, and she has this dream, and the Prophet walks up to her, and he kneels right next to her neck. So she's laying down, and she looks over, the Prophet kneeled next to her. So she wakes up, and she tells her husband, Sakran ibn Amr, I just had this dream that the Prophet came and he kneeled next to me. This is a very awkward conversation. So Quran ibn Amr says, well, if your dream is true, I'm about to die and the Prophet is going to marry you. <laughs> She's like, no, no, of course not. Hijran wa sitran. She says, no way, no, no, that's not what it is. Like, that's not what I'm trying to suggest here. And that's a very odd proposal considering Sauda radiallahu anha was a very old woman, multiple children, was not considered a marriageable person anyway. This is... Strange, right? Like, and she's in Abyssinia and her husband is fully fine and uh, no issues to his health at that point. And then she sees another dream the next night. And in that dream, the moon comes into her home and lands right next to her. So the moon falls into her home and lands right next to her. So she wakes up and she tells her husband, he says, I'm probably not going to live very long. Radiallahu anhu, he passed away. <laughs> Subhanallah. So his time was short after that, and she was late into her 50s, by the way, had five, at least five children that we know of, and she, subhanAllah, what, what happens to her, she goes back from Abyssinia to Mecca, and she lives kind of amongst her relatives, and the thought is that she's probably not at an age where she's ever going to get married again. Right, that's the thought of Sauda radiallahu anha, that her circumstances are that she's probably at a, at a stage in her life where she's not going to get remarried. 
at this point. And she's up to five years older than the Prophet by the way, okay? So come back to the Prophet The Prophet had a dream about Aisha. Sauda had a dream about the Prophet No one has communicated this between each other at this point, right? Khawla bint Hakim, radiallahu anha, uh, who is actually a relative of Khadija, by the way, anha. So Khawla and, and Khadija are relatives, and the Prophet had a special place in his heart for the relatives of Khadija, right? Special place in his heart for the friends and the relatives of Khadija, radiallahu anha. And she's also married to a mighty companion, Uthman ibn Mad'un, radiallahu anhu. So Khawla bint Hakim was kind of the matchmaker in the community. She was the one that would find uh, husbands and, and wives for each other. We need a lot of Khawla bint Hakims today, don't we? So Khawla radiallahu anha was like that matchmaker, okay? So if she came to you to talk to you, you knew what she was coming to talk to you about. And the description of the Prophet SubhanAllah, look how she describes him. She came to the Prophet She said, Like, it's as if you're so depressed. What's happening to you? Over the death of Khadija radiallahu anha. And Rasulullah says, That she was the mother of my family. She was the, the sort of the core of this household. Of course, like, I'm missing Khadija. That's what it is, right? The Prophet is not getting, he's not in a hurry to get remarried after the death of Khadija radiallahu anha, even if it's tradition. And the Prophet didn't have much of an appetite for dunya. Like, if you think about it, Rasulullah in his nature, right, was pretty restricted when it came to worldly things. So he's taking the lesson, he's focused on raising Fatima radiallahu anha, he's focused on getting over this and thinking about the next step of his mission. But Khawla says, Ya Rasulullah, ala tazawwaj, O Messenger of Allah, won't you get married? The Prophet said, to who? To who? So she said, in shi'ta bikran wa in shi'ta thayyiban. She said, I have two women in mind for you, one that's previously married and one that's never been married. The Prophet said, who are they? She said, as for the first one, she said, this is such a beautiful description. She said, the first one is Aisha, the daughter of the most beloved of Allah's creation to you. Remember the Prophet had dreams about Aisha and he didn't talk about it. And she's coming and she's suggesting, she said, the first person I think you should get married to is Aisha, the daughter of the most beloved person in the world to you, Abu Bakr And she said, as for the other one, Fasauda. As for the other one, you should marry Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha. She believed in you and she followed you. She's having a very hard time. Like her life, is, her circumstances are extremely difficult. And they're both going to serve a purpose in your life at this point. Okay? Now, Sauda radiallahu anha fits many molds. She was very loving. She was humorous. She had raised multiple children already. She suffered greatly for her belief in Islam. And she was known as someone who was extremely agreeable. She doesn't argue with anybody. Sauda radiallahu anha, very agreeable as a personality. And subhanAllah, she gets along with everybody. You even see this later on in the household of the Prophet Sauda radiallahu anha does not have any issues with anybody. In fact, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says that I never loved a woman like I love Sauda. And she was my role model, and she was the person I wanted to emulate most. 
So Aisha radiallahu anha loved Sauda radiallahu anha. Sauda doesn't fight with anyone, she doesn't argue with anyone. She's, she's someone who can come and help out in your situation, O Prophet of Allah. And she also brings a lot of humor and joy. She suffered a devastating tragedy just like you suffered a devastating tragedy and she's ready to get married right now. So this is someone that can immediately impact the mood of the household of the Prophet and support the Prophet over these very difficult years of his life sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Sauda radiallahu anha, the dream comes true. And remember this parable because it's significant. The moon fell in her house, right? And if you were to tell Sauda in Mecca, by the way, the Prophet is going to propose to you, it would be like, no way. That, that would make no sense whatsoever. But subhanAllah, uh, Khawla radiallahu anha goes to her and proposes on behalf of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And you can go back to the story of Sauda radiallahu anha. We've, we've covered her in some detail. Eventually that works out. Then she says, فَأَتَيْتُ أُمْرُ رُمَّان So I went to Umm Rumman then, the mother of Aisha radiallahu anha. فَقُلْتُ يَا أُمْ رُمَّان أَوْ أُمْ رُمَّان مَاذَا أَدْخَلَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ مِنَ الْخَيْرِ وَالْبَرَكَةِ You have no idea what good news is coming your way. She's a really good matchmaker, right? You see how she introduces Aisha to the Prophet and how she's introducing now the proposal of the Prophet to Umm Rumman. Man, Allah has decreed some special things for you. What khayr, what goodness and blessing is about to come your way? أَوْ أُمْ رُمَّان She says, what is it khayr? What, what is it? So she said, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yathkuru Aisha. Can you believe the Prophet mentioned Aisha? And she's ecstatic. Amazing news, right? Like, whoa, this is not what I was expecting. Alhamdulillah. But she says, uh, I have to wait for Abu Bakr to come home, radiallahu anhu. So let's wait for Abu Bakr to come home. So Khawla sits with Abu Bakr. I'm sorry, sits with Umm Rumman. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu comes home. She does the whole thing again, right? And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, what's his concern? She's young, I don't know. No, look, look, look how pure this is. He says, Wait a minute, can he marry her? And she's his niece. Why? Because she's the daughter of his brother. Like me and the Prophet are brothers. So is that even halal? His question is a question of, is it halal? Like he's excited. But are you sure that's halal because me and the Prophet are brothers, right? <laughs> so can you make sure it's halal first before we go any further? So that's one concern. So she comes back to the Prophet and the Prophet is, so, I mean, this is a blessing, right? This is a blessed relationship between the Prophet He says, Ana Islam. I am his brother and he is my brother in Islam. But this does not make haram what the brotherhood of blood makes haram, right? So that's the first thing. So she goes back to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is ecstatic, but he has one more problem. And SubhanAllah, you'll already start to see the holes in Islamophobic arguments against this marriage, right? Or when they try to uh, make a mockery of this. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu says, the problem is I already have promised her to mut'im, Ibn Adi's son. She's already engaged. And Wallahi ma ukhlifu wa'dan qat. He's saying, I don't break promises. Look, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is as Siddiq, he's the trustworthy person. And he doesn't break promises in Jahliya or Islam, in the days of ignorance or in Islam. He's a truthful man, just like the Prophet. Now, 
there are a few variables here. What did they used to do amongst themselves? Basically what they would do is, and this was usually tribally based, right? You promise two people for marriage when they're young, and then once they reach the age of marriage, you consummate the marriage, you perform the marriage. That's how they used to perform their marriages at the time. Very common and still common in some cultures today, right? That you've already picked out, you know, two people uh, being married to each other and tribally they already had this sorted out. So Mut'im was an honorable man. And Abu Bakr anhu was the most honorable man. And so Mut'im and Abu Bakr had a prior agreement that Aisha anha would marry Jubair ibn Mut'im when the time came. Okay? Now subhanAllah, look how much more interesting this gets. Mut'im didn't become Muslim, but he was an ally to the Muslims. Now of course the marital laws here are still being sorted out. Like this is very early on in Islam, right? So at what point does a woman have to leave, uh, a believing woman have to leave a disbelieving man? How does this all function? All of that is still being figured out, right? This is all coming through revelation at this point. But Abu Bakr who wants to be an honest man. He, he doesn't want to go and break it off with him on the basis that he's not Muslim when he really just wants to marry his daughter to the Prophet So he says, look, I have to go and talk to Mut'im. Mut'im, by the way, also, he's, he's an interesting character. Mut'im was an honorable ally to the Prophet but he never became Muslim and he kind of, he didn't take religion very seriously. So he said, I'm, just, I'm not into this deen, and he even kind of made a mockery of the deen to an extent, right? That, you know what, based on tribal connections, like, and there's an injustice here, I'm going to help the Prophet ﷺ, but at the same time, I'm not really into the whole religion stuff. So Abu Bakr anhu is thinking to himself, how am I going to find a way to get out of this commitment, right? And Allah would make it easy for him. Abu Bakr anhu goes to visit Mut'im ibn Adi, and... Uh, as he enters into the house, he says, "Ma taqulu fi amri hadhi jariya Like, what what are you all saying in regards to my daughter Aisha? Are you are we still on for what we promised when that time comes, that we're going to marry our children to each other? So Mut'im says, "Well, you got to ask my wife." So Mut'im's wife comes, and he says, "Ma taqulin? What do you say about this situation?" فأقبلت على أبي بكر فقالت لَعَلَّنَا إِنْ أَنْكَحْنَا هَذَا الْفَتَى إِلَيْكَ تُدْخِلُهُ فِي دِينِكَ If we marry our son to your daughter, we don't want her entering him into this silly religion of yours and she starts to insult Abu Bakr anhu in his new way of life and she starts to say, I don't know if I want my son getting into this whole Islam stuff and it might be that you know, he's, she's going to mess him up. So Abu Bakr anhu inside of himself, celebration. On the outside, he's just keeping his composure and listening to her talk about, I don't know if we want this anymore, Aisha for Jubair, because, you know, she might bring this whole Islam stuff to him and mess him up. So Abu Bakr anhu is holding his breath and he's listening to her and he says, my daughter, and she says, my, your daughter, and he says, ma taqulu ant, he says to Mut'im, well, what do you say? And Mut'im says, innaha la taqulu ma tasma'. Look. You heard the woman, she said what she said about your daughter, that we don't know if we want her to get involved with, or we don't want our son to get involved with your daughter anymore. I mean, this was an earlier time where she's going to mess him up and make him a Muslim. So Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, you know, basically says, fine, it's off. Fine, it's off. He gets up out of the house. Alhamdulillah. Thank God that's done. 
Now he has an easy way out because the engagement of Aisha radiallahu anha to Jubair is, uh, is now broken and, and he immediately comes home to Umm Ruman. He says, call Khawla, tell the Prophet we're ready to go. We've solved it, right? Now SubhanAllah, by the way, this is just really interesting because it shows you the trajectories of people. And this is, again, I think it's important to understand what's happening in real time in this society. Who is Jubair? Jubair is the owner of Wahshi who killed Hamza. SubhanAllah, look at the trajectories here, how they end up going, right? Jubair ends up being the owner of Wahshi, radiallahu anhu, of course, made tawbah later on, who would kill Hamza, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So basically, what happens at this point in that society is that you make the promise with each other, you carry out the engagement, and then when the girl hits the age where she is biologically able, then they carry out the marriage. Right, they consummate the marriage. This was the way that marriage used to happen amongst the Arabs. So I'm not gonna go into the rabbit hole of talking about the age of Aisha radiallahu anha too much because we already did a lecture, it's called Ending the Debate, the Age of Aisha. So you can go back and you can watch that lecture inshallah ta'ala. But subhanAllah, for 1400 years, not a single Islamophobe has anything to say, including the Islamophobes in the time of the Prophet about the age of Aisha radiallahu anha as if she's too young to get married, because this is actually the most typical form of marriage at the time of the Arabs, which was once a woman was physically able, it's the one cross history biological marker that a person is ready for marriage, they would immediately try to get that person married. And in fact, if you look at the ages of similar marriages around Aisha radiallahu anha, they're almost all the same. They're almost all the same, keeping in mind that by the way, ages are approximate at the time. Just like how uh, some of you, your parents may be all somehow born on January 1st uh, and picked a year from somewhere. I'm not gonna tell immigration services, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, back then, ages are pretty approximate. And you'll even find this with Aisha radiallahu anha. So when she says that this is taking place when I'm six turning seven, and then it's consummated nine turning 10, this is all within approximate, but we don't have anything to be ashamed of, and all Islamophobes do is they utilize shock value. Oh my God, right? But if you actually read at the time, Ibn Asakir, uh, in his tariq, he actually says that women around the Prophet ﷺ used to reach that age between seven and nine, with nine being on the later end. Warmer climate, lower altitude, the difficult life in the desert, that girls would reach the age where they were ready for marriage much, much earlier than other people because of the difficulty of their lifestyle. And Aisha herself mentions that the time where marriage would be consummated, where she would move in with the Prophet would be the time when she becomes a woman. And that's understood uh, with Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. And by the way, it gets, you know, so it gets very interesting when you start to look at some of the other uh, marriages at the time and you read the history of this. You know, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As, uh, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As, his father, Amr ibn As, when he was born, just so you can understand how things are different at that time, Amr was 12, a 12-year-old 12 dad, and his mom was 10. <laughs> uh, Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah said, I met a woman in Masr who was a 21-year-old grandmother. Okay, a 21-year-old grandmother. So these are things that do not fit culturally, and Islamophobes only utilize shock value, but the reality is, is that even if you took the other wives of the Prophet ﷺ, by the way, I didn't, I didn't mention this in the ending the debate lecture, but this is something, subhanAllah, as I was studying the lives of the other uh, wives of the Prophet ﷺ, if you took their first marriages, they almost all got married around the same time Aisha married the Prophet 
And Aisha radiallahu anha is the only woman the Prophet ever married that was previously unmarried. At that time, once a, a girl is ready for marriage, obviously life expectancy, the way that things uh, progress in that society, it immediately would fall into play. So I'm not gonna go too far into that except to say, this is the most normal form of marriage that exists at the time. And that's why not a single one of the enemies of the Prophet made a, made a comment on the marriage of the Prophet to Aisha So it's understood now that Aisha will marry the Prophet later on when she's of that age. Sauda marries the Prophet at some point. And Aisha will not reach that age until after the Hijrah. So this is agreed upon in Mecca, but after she is of an age of marriage, then she will move in with the Prophet in Al Madina. However, now she knows that the Prophet is her eventual husband, okay, uh, as she's growing up. Now, where do we now see this transition into the Hijrah? Aisha radiallahu anha narrates a very famous narration of the Hijrah told through her eyes through the household of Abu Bakr radiallahu anha. She's seeing things differently, her vantage point is differently. She says, When things got so tough on us, remember Abu Talib has died, Khadija radiallahu anha has died, the protection of the Prophet is really on thin ice at this point. Things are very difficult in Mecca. Abu Bakr started to make plans to migrate to Abyssinia. So imagine subhanAllah Aisha is heading to Abyssinia with Abu Bakr. Our family was about to go to Abyssinia. And then as they are on their way out to Abyssinia to escape persecution, they reached Barq al-Ghimad, which was an area on the outskirts of Mecca. And Ibn al-Daghina, who was the chief of a tribe called Qara, uh, Ibn al-Daghina, he meets Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and he says, Ya Abu Bakr, where are you going? And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu says, Akhrajani qawmi fa'uridu an asiha fil ard wa'abuda rabbi. My people have run me out, so I want to go explore the earth and worship my Lord. Meaning I'm going somewhere where I can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in peace. Ibn Daghina, who's not Muslim, he says, مِثْلَكَ يَا أَبَا بَكْرِ لَا يَخْرُجْ وَلَا يُخْرَجْ But a person like you, Abu Bakr, you cannot be forced out, nor could we even allow you to leave. And listen to the words he says. He says, إِنَّكَ تَكْسِبُ الْمَعْدُومُ وَتَصِرُ الرَّحِمُ وَتَحْمِلُ الْكَلْبُ وَتَقْرِ الضَّيْفُ وَتُعِينُ عَلَى نَوَائِبِ الْحَقِّ What does this all sound like? Anyone remember? It's almost identically the words of Khadija describing the Prophet But you are someone who helps those who are in need. You establish the ties of kinship. You take care of the poor. You take care of anyone that's in need. You take care of the guests, the neighbors, why in the world would any society let a man like Abu Bakr anhu walk out? I don't care about your religion, and I don't care for your religion, but you're too valuable to be allowed to leave Mecca. What's wrong with the people to let you leave Mecca? You're one of the most valuable assets we have in Mecca. So he says, فَأَنَا لَكَ جَارٌ I'm going to protect you. Go back and worship your Lord in your home. I've got you, Abu Bakr. So Ibn Dakhina goes back, he tells the leaders of Quraysh, listen, a man like Abu Bakr, you don't kick out of your society. You don't ever force a man like Abu Bakr out of your community. 
This is a person that deserves the best treatment and he's under my protection. He's going to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be left alone. So I stopped him from going to Abyssinia. SubhanAllah. I stopped him from going to Abyssinia. And leaders of Quraysh have to honor their tribal system. They say, you know what, fine. But tell him not to preach publicly. Just tell him, worship Allah in his home then. Relieve us of his ibadah in public. So Abu Bakr anhu goes home. And Aisha radiallahu anha, she describes what happens. She says, ثُمَّ بَدَى لِأَبِي بَكْرٍ فَابْتَنَى مَسْجِدًا بِفِنَاءِ دَارِهِ وَكَانَ يُصَلِّ فِيهِ وَيَقْرَأُ الْقُرْآنِ Then Abu Bakr had an idea. My dad had an idea, right? So Aisha radiallahu anha says, for some time, we just all worshipped in our home. But these are people of da'wah. They're people who want to call to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like, it's not enough for us to pray by ourselves. So she said, my father said, let me build a masjid in front of my house, open courtyard, and read the Qur'an publicly. It's still technically my house, so he's exposing a loophole in the tribal system of Quraysh. And so she said, so Abu Bakr anhu would lead us in salah. So imagine now Aisha anha praying with her father, Umruman praying with Abu Bakr, and she said, that when he would read the Qur'an, the women and the children of Mecca used to come and they would surround the house to listen to him read. وَكَانَ أَبُوْ بَكْرِ رَجُلًا لَا يَمْلِكُ عَيْنَيْهِ إِذَا قَرَأَ الْقُرْآنِ What a beautiful description. She says, and Abu Bakr was a man who used to cry a lot. لَا يَمْلِكُ عَيْنَيْهِ He couldn't control his eyes when he would read the Qur'an. He had no control of his eyes. So you knew it wasn't just the beauty of the recitation or the beauty of the revelation. It was the, the clear impact that it was having on Abu Bakr عنه, when he would read the Qur'an and so people would surround and they'd watch Abu Bakr عنه, praying and reading Qur'an and eventually they made it hard for Ad-Daghina they said, listen, your guy broke the deal we said, no reading publicly they went back and forth Ibn Ad-Daghina said, listen, you're compromising my ties to Quraysh Abu Bakr عنه, said فَإِنِّي أَرُدُّ إِلَيْكَ جِوَارَكَ وَأَرْضَ بِجِوَارِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ So Abu Bakr said to Ibn Daghina, you know what? Look, I don't want to put you in an awkward position anymore and I'm not going to stop reading Qur'an publicly. So take your protection back and I'll take the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we continued this way. Now Aisha radiallahu anha says, it was that time that the Prophet started to initiate the plans for hijrah to Medina. So they almost subhanAllah went to Abyssinia and missed that window where the Prophet started to initiate the hijrah to Al-Madina. So she says, while we were sitting in our home, the Prophet comes to our house and his head was covered and he came to our house at a time that he didn't used to come. Alright? This is really interesting because she, she said that the Prophet when I was a kid would come to the house every day and every night. But he came at an odd time. A time that he didn't used to come. So subhanAllah, it's really beautiful because Aisha could capture the emotions, the sentiments of her parents. Like, imagine growing up as a child and then your parents are like, the Prophet is coming. Right? The excitement, the uh, somewhat of a nervousness, but an awe, right? Every time the Prophet comes. So she could see that in her parents' faces, right? So when the Prophet sought permission to enter at that time and his head was covered and it was an odd time, she said that Abu Bakr said to us, Fida'un lahu abi wa ummi. SubhanAllah, even in private he says this. Abu Bakr says, May my mother and father be sacrificed for him. Wallahi ma ja'a bihi fi hadihi sa'a illa li amr. There is 
there has to be a reason by Allah that He has come to us at this odd time. So He's only come to us for something significant. Now, Aisha says that, the, that Abu Bakr had these two camels out back that he was preparing just in case the Prophet asked for he and him to go on the hijrah together. Okay? So just in case, and he's held on to these two camels without sacrifice, without riding them, for months just waiting for the word from the Prophet Is he going to need these camels for the hijrah? And maybe, just maybe, it was in his heart. Maybe he'll take me with him. Maybe I'll get to be his company. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he called out and he said to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu that anyone who is with you, you should dismiss them right now. Like I need to talk to you. Okay? Like I need to have a private conversation with you. Aisha was sitting there. Umm Ruman was sitting there and the sister was sitting there and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said, Innamahum ahluka bi abi anta ya Rasulullah wa that it's only your family, O Messenger of Allah. It's just us. No one's home except for us, the family. So come on in. So the Prophet sits down and the Prophet says, Allah has given me the permission to make hijrah. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu says, As-suhba ya Rasulullah. As-suhba ya Rasulullah. I get to go with you. Your companionship, O Messenger of Allah. Your companionship, O Messenger of Allah. SubhanAllah. And the Prophet says, yes. Aisha radiallahu anha, this is the first time in her life. She says, I heard that some people cry when they get happy. But she says that it was the first time I ever saw someone crying out of joy. I mean, she's seen a lot of pain in these last two years. A lot of tears of pain. So the first time in my life I actually saw a man cry tears of joy. What that actually means. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is in so much joy. Allahu Akbar, I get to go with the Prophet on this journey where we're probably going to be killed. But I get to be with my best friend. I get to be with the Prophet And then uh, he says, Ya Rasulullah, I got two camels out back. I'm ready to go. You take one, I'll take one. When are we going? The Prophet says, Bithamani ya Abu Bakr. But only if I can pay for it, O Abu Bakr. Look, subhanAllah, the, the manners of the Prophet he's struggling himself. He knows Abu Bakr will do anything for him. The Prophet says, Bithamani. No, I have to pay you for that camel before we take this journey. So Abu Bakr anhu agreed. And so Aisha anha said, so we started to pack the house and we packed their bags for them. So she's packing the bags for Abu Bakr and for the Prophet And Asma very famously, the possessor of the two belts, she was in charge of bringing food to the Prophet and Abu Bakr on the way. So she tied the two waist belts. Abdullah, my brother, is going to go and spy on the news of the people of Mecca and deliver it to them. As for Aisha, she was too young to participate in any of the tasks related to the hijrah. So now it's her mom and her that are going to travel with the family of the Prophet outside of that immediate hijrah of the Prophet and Abu Bakr. So she says, Rasulullah sent to us Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Aisha radiallahu anha says, Zayd ibn, Zayd ibn al-Haritha, of course the adopted son of the Prophet he comes to us and he has two camels with the family of the Prophet and then he takes the dirhams that he has and he goes and he purchases 
an extra three so that we could all fit as five camels on our way to the Hijrah. So this is the caravan of Zayd radiallahu anhu that Aisha radiallahu anha remembers traveling in and Abu Bakr and the Prophet have taken off. So she said it was with Zayd and Fatima and Umm Kulthum and Sauda, the wife of the Prophet at the time, Umm Ayman radiallahu anha, the, the wife of Zayd ibn Haritha and Usama, may Allah be pleased with them all. So they had five camels and they started to make their way separately under the care of Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now something very interesting happens to Aisha radiallahu anha in this moment. Aisha radiallahu anha, she had, subhanAllah, an issue with her camel. Alright? You don't necessarily get to pick the right camels at this time. You can't be picky. You're just trying to get whatever you can get to get out, right? You're trying to flee literally death. So her camel had a hard time following with everyone else and taking orders. And Aisha radiallahu anha was not very big. She wasn't very heavy. So at some point, she says in the hijrah, the camel that I was on just took off. So Aisha is about to get lost from the rest of the pack. And she says, and my mom calls out, وَعَرُسَاهُ this is so beautiful. She says, his bride, the Prophet bride, not my daughter. That's the Prophet wife over there. <laughs> like, wait, we can't lose her. This is serious now. This is much more serious than just my daughter. And Aisha radiallahu anha said, the camel just bolted with me. And I was about to get lost. And then she said that a voice came and told me, Emsiki, grab the reins. And literally the camel stopped and turned around and basically an angel walked me back over to the crew, to the group. Allahu alam if this was Jibreel alayhi salam, there's nothing to prove it, but an angel, the voice of an angel said, hold the reins and then moved her camel back to the rest of the family of the Prophet and Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So she said, so we made it to Quba and we stayed in our place. Uh, the family of Abu Bakr, the Prophet ﷺ, at that time with his family, they hadn't yet consummated the marriage. The masjid was built, and then they made their way to Al Madina. And I know that we're coming close on time, so I'll try to wrap up at least part one, inshallah ta'ala, just at least we get to this part, which is significant the actual wedding of Aisha and the Prophet. ﷺ. So time goes on, and she says, We're in Bani al-Harith ibn al-Khazraj. We're in an area of Medina called Bani al-Harith ibn al-Khazraj. And she says, فَتَمَرَّقَ شَعْرِي حَتَّى وَفَى لَهُ جُمَيْمَةً That I got sick and some of my hair fell out and then she, uh, she changed. So basically she reached that age where she matured radiallahu ta'ala anha. And she said her hair grew back beautifully. She, uh, you know, she, she was able to come over some of that illness, some of that sickness. And she says, فَأَتَتْنِي أُمِّي أُمْرُمَّان So my mom, Umruman came. قَالَتْ وَإِنِّي لَفِي أُرْجُوحَةٍ وَمَعِي صَوَاحِبَاتٌ لِي فَصَرَخَتْ بِي So she literally says like, I mean, I was like on a swing. I'm with my friends and this was the time. Time for the wedding now. She's reached that age where, again, girls move on to that next journey. So she said, so my mom called for me. So I came to her, وَمَا أَدْرِي مَا تُرِيدُ And I didn't know what exactly she wanted. 
فأخذت بيدي فأوقفتني على باب الدار وإني لا أنهج. Uh, she said that she took me by the hand, she took me to the door, and she said, I'm still panting because I ran to my mother and it's time for the wedding, right? Like, it's all now about to happen, subhanAllah. So the time has come for the wedding to take place. So she said, I started to pant and she said, Hatta sakana ba'du nafsi. And then I calmed down a bit and she said, then she took some water, she washed my face, she washed my, washed my head. Said, so I got into my house and there was a bunch of women from the Ansar and they were singing these songs and they're ready to get her ready for her wedding. So they had the hairdresser, these things cross culture, subhanAllah, right? The hairdresser, everyone's going to get me ready. So she said, She gave me to them and then they got me ready and they, they basically fixed me up, right? So I was, you know, in my mind, I knew, okay, now's the time. She's about to marry the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and they're singing Bil Khayri Wal Barakah that now it's with, with, with the blessing of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and with goodness. And she said, then they took me to basically the feast, the, the wedding. And Asma bint Yazid, radiallahu anha, al-Ansariya, we actually did an episode about her recently. Khatibatul uh, Ansar, the orator of the women. She was a strong woman. Asma bint Yazid, nasakan, radiallahu anhuma. She says, inni qayyantu Aisha ti Rasulullah I was the one who prepared Aisha for the Prophet So she was the woman that was kind of coaching Aisha for the next step. So did her hair, got her ready, got her uh, dress on, everything is being prepared. And the Prophet comes in with all of his beauty sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And of course, this is a first of many in Medina. This is the first wedding in Medina the first time you're seeing the Prophet ﷺ get married, talk about setting expectations in society. The first time the Ansar, who love the Prophet ﷺ more than themselves, are participating in a wedding. The, the way the wedding is conducted is going to set an expectation. You know, the, the, the dress of the Prophet ﷺ, the way he carries himself. So the Prophet ﷺ enters and the Prophet ﷺ is the most handsome of grooms, alayhi salatu wassalam. And Aisha radiallahu anha is nervous as anyone would be in this situation. And she says, فَوَاللَّهِ مَا وَجَدْنَا عِنْدَهُ إِلَّا قَدَحًا مِنْ لَبَنْ You know what we found at the wedding of the Prophet ﷺ? He had a bowl of milk from Sa'ad ibn Ubadah They couldn't afford any animals to sacrifice. No fancy meals. Sa'ad ibn Ubadah remember he used to operate the soup kitchen in Medina. He sent over some laban, some milk, for the wedding feast of the Prophet ﷺ. So this is now the Ansar, the Ansari women gathering around Aisha radiallahu anha, the Prophet sallallahu is there. So the Prophet sallallahu he drank from the bowl of milk. Aisha, and then he handed it to Aisha. And Aisha radiallahu anha like froze up. She got shy. And Asma said to her, لا تردي يد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم خذي منه. Don't turn away the hand of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi Drink from it. So Aisha radiallahu anha said, so I drank from it, ala hayat, and I was still super shy. And then I put it in my lap. And still she's like, what, what happens now? The Prophet says, Nawili sawahibaki. 
give some milk to your friends. Right? You put it on your lap, pass it around. This is the feast of the Prophet This is our wedding. It's leaven, it's milk. So next time someone asks you, no, I'm not going to go there, about how your wedding should be, just ask the Renaissance or whatever hotels you do in, can we have milk for our wedding? Right? Pass around bowls of milk. This is the wedding of the Prophet So she uh, puts it forward to her friends, and they said, لا uh, we're not hungry. And the Prophet said, لا تجمعنا جوعا وكذبا. Like, don't lie about being hungry. I know you all are hungry. Go ahead and drink from the milk. It's okay. So they drank from that milk. And subhanAllah, uh, Aisha radiallahu anha, she describes that moment. She says, فَأَيُّ نِسَائِهِ كَانَ أَحْضَى عِنْدَهُ مِنِّي uh, which of the women of the Prophet was as blessed as I? I got married to him in Shawwal, and or I was engaged to him in Shawwal, and then the marriage was consummated in Shawwal. So this was in the month of Shawwal. And the reason why she says that, um, you know, there are two things. One of them, Abu Asim says, "Inna kariha nasu an yudkhilu nisaa fi Shawwal bitaunin waqa'a fi Shawwalin fi zaman al-awwal." That some of the people you know, had these superstitions where they didn't get married in Shawwal because they said that there was a plague that hit in Shawwal sometime before. So some of them said that, or that the month of Shawwal was a month of good fortune, or that it's the Shahr of Eid, right? It is the month of Eid, uh, Shawwal, the, right after Ramadan. So it's a blessed month in that sense. So Aisha radiallahu anha moved in with the Prophet sallallahu And the only thing I want to cover from this part now because next week we'll get into the love story, inshallah ta'ala. This is a series that talks about sacrifice. SubhanAllah, the wedding feast of the Prophet and Aisha was just milk. They didn't even have animals sacrificed. The mahar of Aisha was the mahar of all the wives of the Prophet 50 dirhams, not much at all. And she talks about the difficulty of this household. And Aisha radiallahu anha, would of course fall madly in love with the Prophet as a wife. They already knew the makam, the status of the Prophet right? She'd seen him in that way before, but now this is her husband. And we know that the love that Aisha is going to have for the Prophet is unlike any other love, right? This is a love story like no other. But Aisha basically tries to overcompensate for the poverty and the fact that she wasn't a very good cook. I'm just going to put it out there. This is a well-known thing about Aisha radiallahu anha. So women can be wonderful in many ways. She, she just didn't really cook very well. So she used to comb the hair of the Prophet when she could. She tried to bring forth his wudu. Uh, she would try to serve the Prophet And she says, and I found the Prophet He used to repair his own clothes and his own shoes. The Prophet was serving the people in his household like, what a man, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. SubhanAllah, what this man was like. That the Prophet did not expect to live like a king. The Prophet was someone who was actually competing even in those things. And it would have been a natural expectation, but the Prophet is someone who is serving in his own household. And this is one of the most powerful riwayat uh, in this regard. Aisha radiallahu anha, she used to say to her nephew Urwa ibn Zubair, and this is, by the way, the route by which we have much of the seerah. Ya ibn ukhti in kunna. Said, oh my nephew, we used to look at the moon, moon after moon after moon, meaning what months would pa pass, 
And we never lit a fire in the house of the Prophet meaning what? We never had food to cook. Like, can you imagine, subhanAllah, she's saying this was the household of the Prophet We wouldn't have anything to cook. Can you, can you imagine your life two months, three months without a hot meal? Can you imagine that? SubhanAllah, this is the Prophet and Aisha radiallahu anha. Look at the love story. It's not based upon these material things. She said months would go by. So Urwa says, Ya khala, fama kana yu'ishukum. So how did you used to live, oh my aunt? How did you used to make it? She said, al-aswadan, al-tamr wal-ma, the two black things, tamr and water. I mean, water did not used to look like this. All right? That's how we survived in the household of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And she then goes on to say, but we had some neighbors from the Ansar that were good neighbors. Sometimes they'd send to the Prophet some leban or some, you know, some, some of the milk from their animals and they'd serve that uh, to us. Her possessions in this house, Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr says that Aisha radiallahu anha only had a few dresses. She had a red shirt that she would wear at home and she had a black overcoat, so like a abaya that she would wear uh, when she would go out. This was Aisha radiallahu anha's wardrobe, <laughs> the first lady of Medina, right? That she had a red shirt and she had a black abaya, and she had one dress for the festivals that was yellow, like a yellowish dress that she would wear to the weddings and to the occasions of the women of the Ansar. Aisha radiallahu anha said, we had one bed in the house of the Prophet and it also served as our mat and our couch. What does that mean? So that we had this hasir, this one thing that we would fold up at night and sleep on. And then during, when the day came, we'd spread it out and we would sit on it with our guests and we'd spend the day on that same mat and then we'd fold it back up and we'd sleep on it. SubhanAllah. And she says that our, in, in, the, in the hujra, in this apartment of ours, when the Prophet would pray, he would pray on the hasir at night and the Prophet would tap my leg when he wanted to do sujood and I'd move my leg so he could do sujood sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And you know what's beautiful? She never complained about poverty. This was a sacrifice that she grew up with with Abu Bakr and this is the sacrifice of our Messenger sallallahu and this was a test that Allah gives to them. And uh, please don't go home and throw out everything from the closet and say, see, because you can't be the Prophet But this is to appreciate the sacrifice, to appreciate the zuhd, the asceticism that they had. Uh, a few other things, because she had some possessions. Aisha radiallahu anha, when she moved in, she brought her, her old dolls. She had her dolls as well. All right? And the Prophet said, what are those? She said, ha'ula'i banati. <laughs> those are my daughters. All right? Those are my daughters. So the Prophet said, he saw some horses. Uh, and of course, their, do their dolls back then were not as defined as ours. Some horses that had some wings on them. So the Prophet said, ma hadha ya Aisha? What is that? She said, horses. The Prophet said, horses with wings. She says, Didn't you know that the Prophet of Allah Sulaiman used to have horses with wings? And the Prophet started to laugh. Like she's saying to the Prophet, I'm like, what? You don't know? Like Sulaiman, his horses had wings, had ajniha. Right? I'm telling you, O Prophet of Allah, that the Prophet of Allah Sulaiman, his horses had wings. And the Prophet just started to laugh, subhanAllah about this. And the last thing I'll say about this is she was a woman of incredible sadaqah. She inherited that from her parents. And Aisha radiallahu anha was a woman who loved to give despite their difficult circumstances. Abdullah ibn Zubair radiallahu anhuma, he says, مَا رَأَيْتُمْ رَأَتَيْنِ أَجْوَدَ مِنْ عَائِشَةً وَأَسْمَاءً 
وجودهما مختلف. He says that I've never seen two women more generous than my mom, Asma, and my aunt Aisha. But their generosity was different. He says, أما عائشة فكانت تجمع الشيء إلى الشيء حتى إذا كانت اجتمع عندها قسمت وأما أسماء فكانت لا تمسك شيئا لغد. Uh, he says that as for Aisha, she used to collect whatever she could, and then once it became something presentable, she'd give it in charity. As for my mom, Asma, nothing lived to see the next day in her home. So my mom and my aunt were both so generous, competing in charity. And Aisha, when she would have a few coins to give, what would she do? She would perfume her coins in musk, and she'd give them in charity. She said, because this goes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And the story, so many stories, the story of the mom who came to the house of Aisha radiallahu anha and she had uh, two daughters with her. And Aisha looked in her home and all they had was three dates. And she gave the three dates and she's telling the Prophet sallallahu alayhi the story. And the mom and the two daughters, they all take a date and they start to eat. The, 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 the young girls, they swallowed their dates so quickly and then they pointed to the date in the mom's hand. So what did she do? She split it into two. She gave it to her daughters. And Aisha anha was sharing the story with the Prophet when he came home. Like she used to share the stories of sadaqah from that household, what we would give. And the Prophet was so amazed by this, this woman. And this is the asl uh, of, you know, uh, fear the fire even with uh, half a date. Because subhanAllah, that one action entered her into Jannah. Just that one action when she looked at her daughters and she took that date and she gave it to the two. And finally, where she tried to combine her love of sadaqah with the love of the Prophet She said, one day we finally had lamb in our house. And someone came and knocked on the door. Aisha was always quick, quick, quick. But she knew the Prophet loved the shoulder of the lamb. So she said, I gave all of it away, but I kept the shoulder for the Prophet And when Rasulullah came home, I told the Prophet we had a lamb that came to us. I donated all of it, I kept the shoulder. And, she, and the Prophet said, rather, the only thing that you have let go is the shoulder. Because the only thing that stays is what is given for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this was a house, dear brothers and sisters, that was built on a unique type of love. Inshallah ta'ala, next week, we're just going to talk about the love of the Prophet and Aisha radiallahu anha and all the incidents that speak to that. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with our mother. Send his peace and blessings upon our Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Jazakumullahu khaira wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.